Greetings ladies and metal gents and welcome to this narration of the web series Solar Apocalypse, taken from Royal Road. If you are new to the series, there is a playlist listed in the description. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 29 It was a prickling across my skin, a shiver up my neck and down my arms. My frantic eyes were drawn to everyone else, moving unaware. I twisted, unable to locate what was wrong when I found Rose and Jack staring at me with wide eyes. No. Behind me, screams broke out. In a single moment, everything crystallized, and I whirled around. A nightmare loomed. A two-human grin on a creature that was anything but. Angular features as to highlight the sharpness in the air. Hands that stretched to long claws. Black skin that seemed to melt through the dark. Eyes that crinkled in malicious glee. It was leaning out of my shadow, emerging as if from an invisible pool. As if my shadow was liquid, and it was about to kill me. Its arms swung out, and instinct carried me inside its range, daring to approach. Solo's instinct screamed. They're in our shadows, I yelled, hearing a chaos. Parker, behind you, a distant shout. It, it's a demon, a demon! Evan! Jack yelled, voice desperate, much closer. Rose! To me, someone shouts, pierced the area. The glow pendant, Rickson! My body moved before I could even process the danger. A part of me had already learned inaction led to death. Muscle memory, cultivated through my clones, demanded I move. I bent out of the way faster than I had any right to, quicker and nimbler than I'd ever been. A thrusting claw met the space I should have been, and I twisted, a whirlwind of air whipping my hair back. It almost seemed surprised it had missed. Features just human enough to display the emotion its head cocked to the side to regard me in a way that was distinctly not. I had no time to be surprised. Evan! And a plume of fire exploded across its shoulder, causing it to swing its head to Rose with a hiss of pain and flame. It had teeth as long as my fingers, all glistening white. Get back! We need to get to Parker! Go! I yelled, making my way back. I can stall it! My heart was racing, and all my attention was on this otherworldly creature. This was on another level, and the things we had fought thus far. It was... It lunged forward with a devilish grin, horns curling up across its forehead. Its claws were reaching, looking to slash and rend. I rolled to the floor as the space I was in exploded in a spray of dirt. Its arm had blurred with speed. I scrambled to my feet and... Uh, my eyes widened as I craned my neck upwards, finding those nightmarish claws racing on my face. Solo's instinct saved me, and somehow I seized the wrist in both hands. My own reaction surprising me, surprising both of us. I strained against it as another firebolt struck it across the face, melting its skin and eliciting an unholy roar. Run! Rose was yelling, but my senses were riding high and I felt more than I saw the opportunity. Another aspect of Solo's instinct, guiding my decisions. I wasted no time in its moment of weakness. I yanked it forward in its moment of agony and instantly unsheathed my knife, finally finding the time of crude goblin make. I was thankful it was at least sharp. My hand found the handle with ease, fingers more nimble than ever, and I was upon it pulling the knife across the throat before it could even react. I stood up, black blood covering me, pale green eyes behind a mask of blood. I couldn't spare a moment to think. There was time to think later. I heard Gary in the distance, somehow calm despite it all, 
yelling out commands, organizing the chaos. I heard voices, Parker, Rickson, everyone. I saw them harried, ambushed, through means I'd never thought to expect. How? How the hell? Jack was staring at me, having been unable to do anything. He's... he's insane. How? He asked. Jack, Rose, stay here. Away from the shadows, I yelled at them. Where are you going? Rose looked at me. The rest of the group was under attack, and I rushed forward without pause. I was faster. My feet were more sure on the ground, a newfound strength in my limbs. I was the closest one to help the middle of the pack, the original me, that was. Sixth didn't have to pause at the tree line to gauge the situation. He, like every incoming clone, already knew what was happening. So it was with that surety that four clones dashed into the clearing, unassuming figures shrouded from notice by the dimness of the sleepy wood. No hesitation. Not now. Power strike! Parker roared, and I saw the air ripple in that way even I couldn't manage. Instead of a punch, his kick sent the creature a few feet back, grasping its stomach with rage. Everyone stay back! His glow pendant seemed to weaken the thing with soft light, brightening the dim twilight. Behind me! Everyone careful! The thing was wary of Parker, hesitant. It wasn't the time to retreat, but advance, to press the creature further off balance. That was how I saw it, but I operated without fear of my life. Sixth rammed into the creature with all the force of his weight, decidedly regular feet of strength. It was enough to send the demonic thing a few feet back, sheer momentum enough to substitute its strength. Nevin! We can't fight that thing! Get back! The globe pendant! He trailed off, staring. Nevin? How is he doing that? Gary said, wide-eyed. I ducked under its strikes, weaving between the sharp movements like flowing water, an incredible display of precision and instinct. A confidence that was a necessity, bored on the edge of death, fueled by fear of pain and agony, with no consequence beyond it. Sixth took on the creature as only a madman could, evasively, cautiously, but with absolute confidence. A complete disregard for any repercussion a mistake might visit. It was almost as if he had eyes at the back of his head. It's a skill! Stop staring! Move! Something in Gary's voice filtered away my fear. Courage rising within me. All my clones moved easier. Seven slammed into the creature, dragging it down. Its head rotated and bit down on my shoulder. The pain resonated, and tearing teeth and rent flesh. Pain! A flash of searing heat across every clone. But an agony no worse than anything I had already endured. What the hell? Some whispered. There's two of... Don't just stand there! Help him! Rickson yelled, wide-eyed and seeing a second me. But there's help him! Parker shouted, rushing forward. Both of them, damn it! Slowly, then with increasing speed and urgency, help came. My strength, despite my numbers, was not enough to overwhelm the thing. Instead, it was a combination of various skills, displays of power, and strength's sheer stats and numbers couldn't exactly match that left the creature dead upon the tinted blue grass, black blood seeping through the soil. My original self helped a struggling man in the middle of the group. The demon! He screamed, scrambling backwards, waving a knife around. Help me! Help me! He pleaded as the creature approached, enjoying the frantic babbling of its prey. Eighth and ninth each took an arm, the latter receiving a gash across his chest. The former stabbed in the arm. It was just too fast for my clones to respond. They could react and process the movements, but at a certain point... Its reach and maneuverability earned it my clone's blood. And yet, together, I moved.
three of me, moving in tandem. I could sense its intent, faintly, and moved from where it might strike. My hair whipped forward and backward with the force of its lethality. Angry, it dashed forward, but Aeth was there, ducking under its blows and striking at his leg. He tripped and fell, rolling to the floor, and tried to get up. Ninth stomped on his arm, shattering the bone at the elbow, then snapping what was left by pulling the arm where it shouldn't bend. It screamed, black blood leaking. My other clone did the same, the force of gravity of a welcome friend. It reared its ugly head, and I kicked it across the face, slamming my foot down on its skull. Then I brought my fist upon its back with all my strength, testing that influx of stats. My fist made contact, faster than the eye, and something within the devilish beast burst. It looked at me, eyes glaring even in its last moments, before going still. Dungeon notice. For defeating three nightmare ifrits, your group is rewarded with two uncommon chests. Dungeon notice. Congratulations, as you are the first group to explore the Sleeperwood, the uncommon chest rewards have been upgraded to unusual chests. I let out a breath, and found many people staring at me. End of chapter. Chapter 30 I sat as Ninth dug into my backpack. He wordlessly handed me a water flask, which I drank from voraciously. It tasted like plastic. Sixth, seventh, and eighth were leaning on trees around the camp, staring out into the dusk. A few people were checking their shadows, flickering around the campfire. Most were staring at an ebon, wondering which one was real. So you can copy yourself, Rixon was somehow the bluntest. That's amazing. Is that a class? Something like a multi-fighter or... I gave him a genuine smile, but Gary spoke up before I could respond. What level are you? To be able to have a skill so powerful, he said pointedly. Gary, Parker cut in. He owes us nothing. He saved our lives. The blonde man gave Gary a hard stare. If you can't see that, then... So he did, Gary said stonily. And how much closer will he risk us? He said, hushing the clearing. If his clones had been here from the start, we'd never have been in danger. He's hidden his true strength until now. He looked to me across the fire, eyes cold. Holding back might have cost someone their life. Do you understand that? His eyes caught the flickering flame, and I realized that they were burning, angry. I looked at him. Wisdom and charisma allowing me to remain calm and navigate a justified accusation with collected composure. The man had enraged at me, just stated facts, throwing the evidence at my feet and calmly telling me to explain. He was angry, but not impolite. But I already came to an answer. My eyes narrowed. And I'm supposed to, what, hold your hand? I spoke somewhat coldly, staring at the fire. Someone could have died, yes. But the blood wouldn't be on my hands. Everyone here entered this place fully expecting the danger, the risks, death among them. I held his gaze. I have no responsibility for your lives. We're strangers, aren't we? And I was still there, jumping in. My clones feel pain, you know. Every time they're beheaded, I'm beheaded. When they burn alive, so do I. I threw all four into the fray. Miraculously, no one had gotten injured beyond a bruise or a cut. I had dealt with one of the creatures almost immediately. The man in the middle had some ability to evade his ifrit, and Parker along with the vanguard were sturdy enough to withstand the immediate ambush. Everyone had stalled enough to get their feet under them and for myself to lend aid. We all came in here expecting the support of all, Gary replied, glaring at me. Death is one possibility, but we came in as a group, a team, even if strangers. That's supposed to everyone's utmost effort, at least. 
with lives on the line. There's nothing less we can ask. I looked at him flatly. And, uh, you think what? That my other selves were twiddling their thumbs in the trees, I said slowly. Implicative. Gary frowned. Something crossing his expression. His eyes slipped behind me to Ninth, whose gaze, even during this conversation, never left the flickering shadows of the campfire. Then to the dusk beyond the campfire, to three figures in the shadows staring outwards, silent watchers. Jack was quick on the uptake, staring at the clones. They were watching us. How long had they been there? I nodded. An early warning system, if we ever needed it. First contact with anything that might be too much for us, I glanced at Gary. I didn't expect something like those ifrits. Rose was rubbing her shoulder. I don't think anyone expects an ambush from their own shadow. Her gaze fell to the flickering shade cast by the fire. Gary took it all before settling into a deep exhale. He looked at me. I'm sorry, Evan. I'm out of my element here. I'm accustomed to transparency within a team, not to... This. I was mistaken. I can admit that. I used to be a manager for Skylar Industries, he explained, mustering himself. I'm used to knowing my team, what they can do, and where I might best utilize them. I'm adapting, he said lamely. I suppose something like that isn't realistic in these conditions. I sighed. There's no harm done, so don't worry about it. We're all adapting, Rose said quietly. It's just that, not something anyone could have been prepared for. I mean, those things, she trailed off. Nightmare Ifbrits. They were a degree above what we could have probably safely handle. Rickson was surprisingly composed. He was shaken, obviously in a small jumps at every shadow, but only scared, not shocked. Everyone else was subdued. I leveled from that encounter, and I barely did anything. Same here, Jack breathed, visibly trying to stay calm. I could have died. Those things, they didn't waste any time going for the kill. He shook his head. Suppose that's just how it is nowadays. I saw it go right for heaven. No hesitation. It just slipped out of the shadow like something coming from a pool. I just swung for him. They're more dangerous than anything we've faced so far, I replied. And they hadn't appeared until now. Rose took a deep breath. It might have to do with how far we've gone. We're a ways away from the exit now. Distance might be a factor in the dangers we face. No time, Parker added, seeming to have kept his wits. We've been here close to four days now, he said. Considering everything, it might be time to head back. It could potentially get worse from here. He said it more in consideration for the rest of the group than himself. Brushing that close with death, I could understand how shaken these people were. I could understand it, well, four, five times over. And leaving, I wasn't necessarily against the idea. I wasn't naive enough to think those ifrits were the apex danger of the sleepy wood could offer. Somehow, this place gave off an aura of emotionless danger that put me constantly at edge, like a sleeping beast that, if disturbed, could mean a swift death. The place was calm and quiet, but not to be underestimated. I felt the second anyone fell into that lethargic serenity was the moment they died. Head back, Rickson said incredulously. Just look at what we got from these things. A few more encounters like that, with the bonus from being the first group in here, and we're set. These items could be a literal life or death in the future. He pointed to the three items laid on a log nearby. A dark woven cloak, twilight saber, and a cool shade bracelet. They each had interesting effects surrounding light and dark, dark mostly. An unusual chest variant was seemingly the step up from an uncommon. Each of the items seemed more impactful. 
We could be facing death now, Rickson. Parker responded grave. Don't forget that. His stuff only has value when there's someone alive to use them, I cautioned, looking them over. If we die here, then more equipment means nothing. Parker nodded, arms on knees, sitting heavily. It's a matter of when to cash in, he added. But I suppose we should count our gains in the meantime. He spoke, glancing at the reward. We might as well make use of them. Item. Dark woven cloak. A cloak made of light absorbent material resulting in a color darker than black. It is further enchanted against the light such that it seems to be made of shadow itself. Item. Twilight Saber. The blade crafted from metal that glitters under the moon. Its edge rests between dawn and dusk. Effective against creatures of both night and day. Item. Cool Shade Bracelet. A bracelet with an encompassing enchantment. In the harshest suns, it offers an escape from burning rays and shield against all else. Jack was staring at the items as well. If we're distributing them, I think Eben has the right for first pick, he proposed, looking around. I'm sure we can all agree on that. I glanced around the campfire and found no one gainsaying me. I barely took a moment to think about it before Ninth wordlessly walked over and retrieved the saber. To everyone's amusement. My only reason reasoning was that the saber beat the goblin-made knife. A sturdy weapon was something I lacked. Ninth handed it to me, and I felt an odd metal in my hand. A comforting grip. I guess I'll take this then. I was clueless when it came to blades, but even I could tell the saber was beautiful. In short order, the other two items were given to Rose and Rickson. The former was given the cool shade bracelet, and the latter the dark woven cloak. The cloak would fit in with Rickson's clasp, but the bracelet was up in the air in terms of best usage. Rose eventually ended up with it. Once that was done, it was a discussion on whether to continue withdrawal. There were reasons for both. Evan, what do you think? Rickson asked me. He was a slimmer man, an office worker. His glasses were dirty, clothes a mess. He looked at me with an inquisitive gaze, interrupting the conversation to address me directly. The last person one might expect to be the most adjusted. I think that you are the highest level person here. Logic dictates that you've survived through more than us. I heard a stray thought from him. He said he'd been roaming the swamp alone. One else is out there, and to do it alone. Despite me calling them strangers, I'd come to learn some things about these people. Parker was strong and steadfast. Rose was passive, but purposeful when pressured. Jack was quiet and observant. Rickson despite his withdrawn demeanor, had a naturally sharp intuition. I looked at everyone, strangers I'd only slightly come to know in the short time, other faces whose names I hadn't bothered to memorize. It's what you said, Rickson. You can't get stronger in this godforsaken world without putting yourself at risk. That's just the way of things, I spoke after a moment. To me, that means staying here as long as possible. Gary spoke after me. Anyone who wants to leave, we can escort you to the exit. Not all of us have to stay. He looked up to the perpetually moonlit sky. It's about time that someone went back and briefed anyone who'll listen. I think we've accomplished what we came here to confirm, at the very least. There were nods all around. More conversation. And then we broke camp. End of chapter. Chapter 31. We fell into a rhythm. My clones acted as forward scouts, accompanying both Jack and Rickson as we made our way back to the exit. If you run into trouble, don't hesitate to leave me behind, Ninth told Rickson. You said you feel everything your other selves do. Are you sure? he asked, uncertain. Positive, Eighth replied. 
having a variation of the same conversation with Jack. There was no need for them to accompany my clones, but both claimed it would help them level. Their lives weren't my responsibility, and so as long as they were away, I had no right nor reason to stop either of them. Meanwhile, my original self walked ahead, and Sixth who allowed me a third-person perspective of myself by watching my original self entire surroundings. Nothing by the way of a regular approach would go unnoticed, including one from my shadow. Ahead of me, Parker along with some men and women with applicable skills in actual combat took the vanguard. Nearby, Rose and Gary, Seventh took the rear guard, further back than even Sixth. Our trip back was actually less eventful than before, although there was a renewed sense of uncertainty and paranoia in the air. We were able to navigate away from most dangers, only taking fights we were completely ready for. I wasn't sure how that affected our gains, but we didn't come away empty-handed. This place gives me the creeps, Jack commented, his quiet voice easily carrying across the silence. The forest was tinged blue, shrouded in just enough shadow to make people see things. Sometimes, things that were actually there. The low light along with the unfamiliar flora and fauna made everything uncanny. Normally, one moment, alien the next. I'd realized over the course of the week that I was actually seeing better than everyone else. My perception attributed at play, no doubt. It's not welcoming, is it? I said, pausing slightly as I caught a pair of eyes along the tree line. They disappeared as I spotted them. And that was normal. It's like the entire place is watching us. I wasn't sure if anyone else realized how true that ran. Eventually, we came to a stop. It was hard to gauge the day and night cycle here. Gary took the lead of those matters, either having an impressive internal clock or somehow understanding the fatigue of the group as a whole. I was leaning towards the latter, almost certain he'd employed some kind of skill during the encounter with the Nightmare Ifrits. I found myself with relative privacy for the first time in a while. I shrugged off my spider silk backpack, rolling my shoulders. I reached inside and came away with a small container that had been dominating my thoughts recently. I held up the small glass jar against the moonlight. The blue liquid moved on occasion, minutely, almost as if it were nervous, or perhaps weakened, dormant, yet unmistakably alive. Item. Regenerator Symbiote. An organism that blinds to a single host. Once bound, this symbiote improves all biological functions, increases vitality, and enhances recovery effects upon the host. Constitution increased by 10. Natural regeneration and recovery effects increased by 80%. I shuddered, staring at it, but I couldn't disregard its effects. Seeing as the thing came from an epic boss chest, I couldn't even estimate its worth. That epic modifier, that purple glow I'd witnessed, was in a realm of its own. Not to mention, it came from a boss chest, which likely connotated greater rewards in and of itself. With both combined, every single thing received from my encounter with the Root Mother Hivemind was a precious treasure. Aside from the Ring of the Hivemind, Third had been testing the living armor to great effect. It turned away the mundane blades of goblins and was semi-reactive to his thoughts. Sturdy, beyond reason, breathable, adaptable, it was hard to find any downsides to it. The symbiote was more, uh, invasive than any of the others, not something just to put on. It was undoubtedly powerful if I were taking the system at face value, though I couldn't be certain there were no consequences of letting something bond with me on a biological level. Essentially, 
letting an alien life form tie itself to me in whatever form that took. What consequences beyond the extra stats would that entail? The nightmare ifrits, along with the uneasy danger I was constantly feeling, had forced the issue. I was acutely aware of any injury. Three of my cells were currently wounded. Seven had been bitten across the shoulder by a mouth as large as his head. Ninth had a more superficial gash across his chest, and eighth had been stabbed in the arm. If my original body suffered those injuries, I was keeping it together. The problem was, I felt everything. They did wonders for my mood. I suspected that was the reason Will factored into the Never Alone skill, because it was needed to withstand and negate sensory overload. I popped the cork, watching the symbiote react. It bubbled as I brought it to eye level, roused. It wiggled and sloshed, moving to one side of the bottle as if fearful, inching forward as if curious. That blatant display of even slight intelligence gave me immediate pause. Evan! I nearly jumped to my feet. I somehow missed his approach and jerked slightly, covering the jar. Jack caught my surprise. Ah, sorry, he said sheepishly. It's a new skill, a silent approach. Came with the levels, he explained. Though it was less his sound and more the dark woven cloak covering his figure that allowed my surprise, most of my clones were looking outward and one looking inward had been focused on the edge of the camp. Sorry, I breathed, relaxing my posture. My free hand had instinctively gone for my knife, a sad reflection of my reality. Did you need something? Uh, nothing, uh, just a talk, if you don't mind, he said, holding two skewers of meat. Dinner using the processed meats from the day's hunt skill. I smiled, grabbed the offered skewer, and gestured nearby. Be my guest. Jack took a seat beside me. You are sure you're staying? He asked. This place is maddening. Already made up my mind, I shrugged, biting off a morsel of sweet and savory meat. I think the best thing for anyone right now was to become strong enough to survive. The dungeon might be a blessing in that regard. Something for us to throw ourselves against. Memories of horrors and bodies came unbidden, a ruin and destruction. All the helpless people, mindless thralls walking around the clearing, walking to their deaths. You know the majority are leaving, right? Jack asked, glancing at the mingling people. And the more people that go means fewer people are left. It gets more dangerous. I uh, might have dealt with worse, to be honest, I said softly. Somehow, I don't doubt that. Jack looked at me oddly. How old are you? 23. Jesus. You're three years younger than me, he chuckled, leaning back, looking towards my small fire. World's gone to hell, man. It truly fecking has. You're just realizing that. A genuine laugh at the sheer accuracy of the statement escaped me before I settled down as it sunk in. No kidding. We spoke about nothing for quite some time. There was a conversation with no meaning, no context or substance, but it simply was. And for that, it was something more. I found myself unwinding, letting down my mental burdens, if only for a single conversation. At the end, he took his leave after a better part of an hour, having to take his turn on the rotating watch. I felt confident watching with just my clones, but extra eyes weren't unwelcome. Once I was alone again, I pulled out the jar, my hand covering it. And uh, the symbiote wasn't there anymore. Slightly panicked, I checked my status as Rickson had been referring to it, that strange culmination of my person, my eyes started to constantly tribute. Name, Evan Winst, level 23. Title, Trailblazing Vanquisher of the Hive Mind. Traits, Regenerator. Class, Solo. 
Strength 16, Constitution 27, Dexterity 15, Agility 16, Perception 19, Intelligence 20 plus 5, Wisdom 27 plus 5, Willpower 29 plus 5, Charisma 14 plus 5. Luck, 14. Stat points, 18. Skills, never alone, low profile, solo's instinct, solo sanctuary, and telepathy. I immediately found the value had risen from 17. Heart speeding up. Then I saw something else entirely, mental gauge drawn to a new section of the status. Traits. And I was immediately flooded with what they entailed. A trait defined an exceptional quality or characteristic. Generally, one which was inherent to an individual. In my case, I took a breath. Resigned to accept the conclusion I'd come to after seeing the empty jar, perfectly sealed off with my hand and with no symbiote within. I wanted to slap myself, realized I could, and then instead took a breather with a mental image. Trait Regenerator You are in some way or another exceptionally suited to recovering from injury. A mutualistic symbiote lives within you, improving your constitution and enriching biological functions. The symbiont enhances natural recovery and coordination external heating factors. Constitution increased by 10. Natural regeneration and recovery effects increased by 80%. It had the exact effects of the item, only it was now an intrinsic part of me. I stared at my hands, my arms, waiting. Waiting for some waves of nausea or wrongness to hit me. Some feeling under my skin, in my flesh. I focused my perception inwards, leveraging every sense I had to focus on my internal understanding of my body. And I felt better than I ever felt, alive, back then, when I had become the trailblazing vanquisher of the hive mind. The influx of stats was mind-boggling. I'd barely had time to trace them all, and with each one increased similarly, it was as just as become suddenly more. Now, I felt my body as biology intended. I remember reading somewhere that very few people could claim they knew what health felt like. I understood that now. There was living as one did, and then there was this. It was like my body was brimming with energy, inexplicably restored. I opened and closed my hands, amazed. It was funny how weak I could feel, how vulnerable, with so many instances of myself running around, that it just always just been nine more me's, as odd as it sounded. They didn't make me feel any more capable in the strength of my person. This was different than any of my skills. It was me, plain and simple. And slowly exploring my raw capabilities, it was reassuring to see tangible growth. To not just see these numbers, but be certain in their application. In this apocalypse, I was sure that it was something precious. End of chapter. Chapter 32 in the end, enough people decided to leave the sleepy wood that it passed some invisible threshold whereupon the rest decided as well. I watched them leave. They stepped through the primordial sheen framed by stone portals and, on the other side, I watched them in return. Inside, Parker was one of the few left, along with Rose and Rickson. He looked at me. Shall we head out then? I blinked. You're not leaving? Parker looked at me and I saw genuine surprise in his posture. He thought we were all going, and he chose to stay. I uh, thought you knew, he replied, looking at me astonished. I guess I didn't. From what Jack told me, just about everyone was leaning towards leaving, I reflected. Rose gave a soft smile. I still owe you for saving my life, Evan, she said. Not that I can claim to be much help, but the dungeon is a way to get stronger, and I don't want to be put in that position again. Rickson looked at me, and I already knew why he was here. 
the same reason we were all here, if not so direct and true. We have to level, he said, shrugging. Parker nodded, looking at all of us. You saved a lot of people's lives, and I was probably among them. The least I could do is stick around, especially when it's to my benefit. I looked at the survivors thrown into hell and found people who'd never given up. I nodded, smiling. Be ready for anything then, and I turned around and began walking. Outside, events were less heartwarming. The darker side of humanity reared its ugly head, the inevitable depths of character that rose in times of distress. Clones second through fifth were just a handful of faces among the crowd, watching a scene I judged to be unavoidable where the disagreement between large groups became physical. I watched from multiple angles as men paraded around, interrogating survivors. They were asking for levels, classes, and skills, and more. All information that I was convinced were deeply personal and revealing, the likes of which no one should share freely. At least, not voluntarily. The thug was high enough level to harass these people without consequence. There was no doubt in my mind he actually helped him, and... In a twisted way, that was his path to survive. Hey, I'm talking to you! He grabbed the man by the collar, yanking him backwards with more strength than he should have had. Name, level, and skills, and class if you have one, now! That's not... The man haunched over and knocked out of him. He fell to his knees. Answer now! We need high-level people if we're getting out of this damn swamp. Anyone who wants to stay can rot here for all I care. But if you're useful, you're coming with us, whether you like it or not. Uh, I'm level five. Uh, I have the quick step skill, he groaned, rolling over. Eh! Uh, the man released him, allowing him to moan. Comply, you won't end up like him, he said, addressing the crowd. People immediately began to disperse and quickly found themselves surrounded by a handful of others, apart enough that it was clear that they were with the thug. One stepped up to a woman who had tripped on a root. He reached out. You all right? Second asked, helping her up. Y yeah, she said, wide-eyed. But, but there, hey, the man said, name, level, skills, and class now. I ignored him. You better be on your way, miss. There's bad crowd today. I smiled at her, too sharp, I think. She fringed and ran off. The man watched her go. Then he eyed me. Think you're hot stuff, huh? You might be a good fit if you're that confident. Then he frowned when I showed no reaction. More so when I started walking away. Hey, hey, I'm talking to you, you bastard. He reached out, trying to grab my shoulder. I stepped out of the way and he fell off balance, glaring at me in surprise and anger. Get the feck over here! He lunged for me. And my elbow slammed into his face, dropping him, fourth and fifth watching from the sidelines. I continued walking. I heard him mumbling, cursing and groaning on the floor. They'd been put enough fear in these people that the mood had drastically fallen. Anyone speaking out had instantly been silenced, appearing next day with bruises so black and blue they would have been invisible in the sleepy wood. A single name kept coming up. Later, Ralph sighed as I glanced around his newer tent. His name is Blitz. I stared at him and he put his hands up. Don't ask me. That's what he's calling himself. It was fine when he wanted to just leave, but I think he's starting to like what he sees. I was in a section of the clearing where semi-permanent structures were being set up, the very bare requirements of an actual settlement or town. It felt more like an outpost in the middle of nowhere. There was an actual chair for me this time around. 
I'd been visiting Ralph fairly often and had gotten to know him better in the past week. At least one of my clones would stop by daily, usually bringing in food or goblin tools. Either was heavily appreciated. He's going to try to take over. I thought their whole shtick was leaving the swamp. They're a bunch of thugs and criminals. A little bit of power and suddenly they're lording it over anyone weaker. It is disgusting, he spat. They've taken to coming here every day. Thankfully, there's always a few lads nearby. They'd steal everything they could. You have to expect the worst in people, I guess, I said, disappointed. As a sudden displeasing thought came to me. Actually, they might have more of a reason to stay soon, I groaned. Fantastic, Ralph joked. Oh, and I've got that thing ready for you. The wood you found was actually perfect. And the stringer. It was spider silk, wasn't it? The material itself was uh, thick, but luckily I could process it to the right tensile strength. Thin it down. He placed an item on the table, an honest-to-God's bow, a curved, smooth wood, bent by the tension of that accursed spider silk. I'd actually found another one of those caves on my survey of the area. The same horrible spiders inhabited it. It had been the most nerve-wracking thing I'd ever done. Even if it was a clone, just the memories alone. I didn't stay any longer than I needed to, and I wouldn't have risked it otherwise. My perception and Solo's instinct guided me, and I escaped without catching even a wink of the arachnids I knew were in there. Deeper. How big was the spider? Ralph broke my thoughts, looking at me. Really big, I chuckled after a moment of surprise. I nearly died the first time. And you killed it? He asked, impressed. That kind of not without paying in blood, I said morose. The first time didn't go so well. This time I only went for its webs. Ah, he said softly. A shame. And that was all he said. Ralph was an older man, muscled, advanced in age, yet somehow hearty. He was wise enough to allow a moment of silence as I inspected the bow. I picked up the weapon. I doubted any one among the survivors would have the technical skill to create medieval ranged weaponry. Ralph's craftsman class was invaluable. This kind of craftsmanship wasn't exactly common knowledge. It's a good weapon. I tested it myself. Shoot straight, draw strength is incredibly high. Anything you shoot from that will pack a punch, Ralph said. Not that I know much about bows. I made about three dozen arrows. Good, I said. I need, uh, eight more of them. The bows. He blinked. End of chapter. Chapter 33. Is it never strange to you? Rose asked me. Asked Ninth. Ninth shifted. Honestly, this is the first time I've done this, he said. Believe me when I tell you that it's pretty disorienting. My original self was testing Twilight Saber, facing against Sixth, the only uninjured clone. It was strange setting myself against myself. I knew every movement, every thought of my opponent, because it was my own. And yet, there was a strange mental remove I'd never been aware of until now. The punch came at me, and I blinked as it stopped at my nose. Simultaneously grinning at triumph and frowning at the strangeness, one emotion on each face, confusion apparent to both. I saw everything, every perspective, and yet it was at that odd mental remove, the peculiar state of my consciousness through never alone being shed light upon. Each clone was undoubtedly me, 
but that certainly guaranteed my independence in each of them. I was every clone. They were also me. It was like touching two fingers together and trying to understand what each was feeding, or something like that. It was one of those things too convoluted to think about, and easier to feel. Was that wisdom or intelligence to understand that? Perhaps it was the way I could trust my hand to grab something that same notion applied to the fight. I didn't need specifics, neither my original self nor my clone, but one never doubted their own hand. I could feel every muscle, every movement if I needed to. I just didn't. I had surprised myself, and two parts of me adjusted, both rising to the bizarre challenge. I was both David and Goliath, original and clone. I dodged as six came at me, fearlessly aggressive, the element of surprise. It's what I would have done. I stepped to the side and found him there, but I was ready, dodging again and bringing my sword and a whole slash to his neck. We both paused. Again, we said. The same exact person, but one just more. The result was a foregone conclusion, but a loss of victory neither added nor stole from my ego. It was all me, and so we went again. Every swing of my sword I saw looked wrong. I corrected. Every inefficient movement of mine I attempted to optimize. As David, I poked at every weakness, every opening. I moved into blind spots, exploited an uncertainty of my form. I played every mind game I could, went for whatever would work. A handful of dirt, a reckless tackle, I approached my superior self with my death as a given. And then, my life as a treasure. As Goliath, I pressed every inferiority. I became overwhelming, speed, power, and strength of body, where simple techniques failed. I challenged strength with strength, speed with speed, when I knew I would win. I was cocky, confident, because here my power demanded it. An incredible display of coordination, even in a spa. Each bout ended in sometimes two or three moves before Six found a blade in his throat, his arm, or his leg. An injury was old talk. As much as an underdog story was loved, it was never realistic, and I proved it myself over and over. Six defeated me once, a goblin knife to my wrist. It had happened in a split second, at the apex of my swing. The knife had been there. At this point, I was only slightly taxed. Six's breath was laboured. Eventually, I realized that Ninth had better use for the sword in these circumstances, and weapons were swapped. The utility of the sword was pointless when I had overwhelming attributes to lean on. At least, in this fight. It was a better tool when actually needed. Again, I didn't go easy on myself. Six held the twilight saber against my neck, the deadly edge twinkling softly in the night sky. And I simultaneously stared down, gulping at the very real cold, unearthly metal upon my neck. Again. Ninth watched nearby, analyzing every move as I reset, seeing movements neither of my battling selves did, noting them down. Ninth observed the original with the same quiet intensity as I'd been watching myself, trying, as all my clones did, to discover any inconsistency in my physical expression. My title covered any mental bids of subjugation. The symbiote had not made itself known to me in any perceivable manner. And yet I felt good, good enough to put me on edge. Nothing came without a price, and it felt like I was waiting for the shoe to drop. That simply wasn't. How are you moving like that? Rose asked, pulling me from my focus. It must be a skill of some sort, obviously, but it's, uh, it, it looks choreographed. Rather, it was my raw stats. I think we have to assume everything's possible. It's odd, talking to you here and seeing two of you there, Rose said, shaking her head. 
It's so uncanny. I can almost convince myself that you're triplets, at least, when there's only three. You get used to it, I chuckled. Now imagine watching yourself well, enough to say that it's not or just always strange. It's horrible sometimes, I said softly. She looked at me, eyes searching. When they get beheaded, you get beheaded. When they burn alive, so do you, she quoted me, voice gentle and coming to a conclusion. You've seen yourself die. You've watched yourself back then, in the fire, the field boss. You didn't escape, did you? She said, eyes going round. When you told me you sacrificed yourself, you meant that literally. I gave her a wan smile. Do you feel it all? She asked, wide-eyed. Yes, I said, staring as my original body clashed with six. At the spar, I felt every inch of, saw from the perspective of both combatants as well as observer, everything. I was both there, fighting, and here as ninth. I shifted again, that stinging seer acting up, a bright line of pain across ninth's chest, just one of the injured clones. I groaned, regretting the noise, and Rose immediately noticed. It took her only a second of scrutiny. My God, she whispered, your chest! You need medicine! That needs to be treated, she exclaimed, moving my clothes to see the extent of the injury. Her eyes were focused, gauging the damage. It's okay. It's not lethal. Not in this body, I said, giving her a pained smile. You're insane, she looked up at me. You're in pain. If I had a first aid kit, I could help, she said worriedly. In fact, in my spider silk backpack, I did have some first aid kit, pilfered from the science building before I burned it down. I wasn't keen on using it to my clones, though. It wasn't worth it. I guess there's something I could try, I trailed off. Without any particular fanfare or obvious signal, the sparring session ended and Ninth approached my original self. I stared at him, and he merged into me as if our steps and breath became entirely the same. That he moved in such perfect resonance as to become one. And then, barely a heartbeat later, he stepped out of me, forking once again into individualism. Tougher than the rest of the clones, and importantly, Ninth was now whole, undamaged. Whoa, Rose said, watching quietly. That's that, she said, looking at me. And this is normal for you. It's getting to be, one of me replied. Items didn't copy over when I used Never Alone. I tried, but without a doubt, the new Ninth had an increased constitution. So why did the stat bonuses from the symbiote apply to my clone? It didn't take me long to figure out why. It was because I wasn't wearing an item, I had gotten a new trait. Because the symbiote was now a part of me, I wasn't sure how to feel about that. It was a roundabout way to confirm an unsettling truth, and I opted to focus on another revelation instead. With the boost to my statistics, I got to update my clones. They retained the physical attributes of their conception, meaning clones 6 through 9, the ones I created after gaining the title, and coming into Sleepywood, were the only ones benefiting from the physical attributes. The others outside, after checking, were indeed more limited. I recognized that truth instinctively. Some aspect of my class, or never alone itself, lending some inherent intuition. Since my consciousness was pseudo-shared across every clone, the mental attributes were constant, regardless of what they were at the time of each clone's creation. So this is your skill, Rose said, attentive. Is it some kind of magic? She looked at me curiously, watching my clones walk about. I don't think it's like your firebolt, if that's what you're wondering, I said contemplatively. Then, after a moment, they're here, by the way. I stopped, further sparring as Rickson, Parker, 7th and 8th returned. 
The place we had chosen to shelter in was a particularly thick copse of trees, with a single unobstructed exit such that the small area could be watched with relative ease. It was our current base of operations. Rose looked at me. The original who hadn't left the clearing. Run into any troubles, she asked. He sees what they see, feels what they feel. That means this Evan should know what those ones do. Troubling, more like, I replied to her, greeting Parker and Rickson as they returned. I absorbed the injured seventh and eighth, the motion so smooth it looked as if they simply stepped through me. And it was with the addition of them that I realized this particular interaction didn't come without a cost. I felt a fraction of the injuries. No, I received a fraction of them. I pulled my clothes forward and glanced down at my chest, a shallow cut across it, a small wound in my arm, and my shoulder was stinging in a circle, the shape of a bite mark. All diminished versions of the injuries, ninth, eighth, and seventh, sustained, respectively. If I had a hunch, it was that the fraction was an even ninth of each injury, the exact number of my clothes. I winced. The pain, lesser, overall, though more consequential. This was the cost of absorbing an injured clone. It was also the first time I felt some small fatigue from using the never-alone skill in such quick succession, both absorbing and creating. I sat on a log, rummaging through my spider-silk backpack, and took out the first-aid kit. Then I pulled my jacket and shirt off as two of my clones broke away to assist. They popped open the kit, inspected the unfamiliar contents for a moment, before simply starting unprompted. I held my arms up as sixth and seventh bandaged my chest and arm, sterilizing and applying antibacterial ointment. I closed my eyes as my shoulder was wrapped, others stinging across my wound subsiding minutely. It itched, and my movements were stiff, but it was better. Meanwhile, Parker Rickson updated Rose on what they'd found. Naturally, I knew the results of their scouting since two of me had been there. Technically, all three of us were updating Rose. We had found a ruin. End of chapter. I would quickly like to thank the T5 channel members and Patreons. Caspar Arnholtz, Cam Maxwell, Barky, Lord Azrakal, It's Difficult to Pronounce, Dragzoon, WRE, Holly's Sister, Arcadian. Thank you very much.